What's going on, Skytown? Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James K. With me on the mic, as always, is your co-host, Christopher J. Pennant. Chris, I'm sorry softball got rained out today, but I'm glad that we get a chance to talk some WNBA, man. How you doing? <laughs> I'll be all right, I guess. <laughs> you know, I was. This is the third week in a row, and so the Chicago Media League playoffs will be pushed back to September for the first time in like four years. One of those years is obviously a punt because of the pandemic. But I guess this gives us adequate time, uh, the Chirp team, adequate time to prepare for the forces of Odyssey Radio, which we could use. And maybe this will give them, you know, time to be you know, adequately frustrated and somehow miss out on some things, which we could also use. Uh, but yeah, no softball today. That's all right. Look up the great song Softball Canceled by Serengeti and uh, <laughs> enjoy the rain outside the window. <laughs> Rain outside the window kind of describes where the Chicago sky are at, I feel like, Chris. I mean, not just... segue. Look at that. That's so poetic. I'm learning from the CHGO podcast, man. I'm learning from you. (laughs) Um, You know, so we were recording this on August 14th. You know, the sky have kind of gone through it a little bit. They're kind of walking on thin ice right now. They've had moments where they've kind of put it together where... They scored 104 points in three consecutive games in three wins. And then over the last few games, they've all, they've kind of struggled again offensively. They've lost three in a row now after averaging, I think close to like 76 points per game in those losses. They're just like a tick under 16 turnovers a game, which is 11th in the league in that span. And they are now tied with the, Los Angeles Sparks for that eighth spot in the playoffs. And they have a little bit of a rougher road ahead as well. I mean, they've got, they get to play the Seattle Storm twice, but they also face the Sun twice and then play the Aces, Liberty, Dream, Fever, Sparks, and Lynx each one time the rest of the way. So the Sky are kind of in an interesting position right now where they might not even make the playoffs as the Sparks have started to get a little bit healthier, started to look a little bit better than they've had all season because of those injuries. So with all that in mind, Chris, I'm just curious, like in terms of the pulse of the team, let's just say on a scale of one to 10, what's your level of worry? Just looking at this sky with 10 games left, trying to make that playoff push. Seven. I'm pretty worried. Uh, This is a team that said from the outset that they want to make the playoffs from the former head coach to the current head coach to all of the players, uh, the focal voices on the team. Uh, Ka, Courtney, Elizabeth Williams, they've come into this with the expectation to make the playoffs. And if you look in in the future, would it be necessarily bad or good for this guy to make the playoffs? It could go either way. If you don't make the playoffs, you have a shot at the lottery, even with the two-year run, but their record last year was good. And this record last this record this year, I mean, the the worst they could absolutely go, I think they could, what was it? They'd be 12 and 28. And I don't see them losing the next 10 games. Six, yeah. I don't see them losing the next 10 games, even even though it's a tough schedule. But you're not with the two year rolling um, lottery chances that doesn't necessarily guarantee you a top four pick. So you're kind of in that middle ground of, of purgatory 
no matter what you do. If you make the playoffs, you're just about guaranteed for the eighth spot, which means you're playing Las Vegas. If you don't make the playoffs, you don't necessarily have a good chance at a high draft pick. And any pick past fourth or fifth next year is not a person that's guaranteed to stick on the roster. So you're going to have to go with the people that you have under contract, the overseas market, and banking on putting up the bread to get your free agents back. So this is a seven, maybe an eight, not fully pushing the panic button. But these these games this weekend, even the Liberty game, were games that the Sky had to win. I think they absolutely had to win to put to like put at least a chokehold on the eighth spot. If not, better their chances as slim as they might have been to get up to the seventh spot. Yeah, Chris. And also, I'm glad you brought up the draft pick stuff because I actually had a misunderstanding of this, even though I cleared this with a couple people like when, when the Marina Mabry trade happened. And a lottery pick actually is on the line here. Like they would, so if the Sky were to miss the playoffs, they would actually have like a 10% chance of getting the number one pick in the draft. So that was, that's on me. I'm glad that you brought it up early in the show so I can make a retraction there. Okay. But this guy do have a chance at getting a lottery pick. I mean, it, they would have a chance at it if they hadn't traded it away. So I, I'm glad you brought that up at the top of this. At the same time, um, I don't want to talk about the Marina Mabry trade <laughs> right now. Um, I still think that there's upside with that trade um, if it just involved those first two picks. But let's throw that away for a second. Obviously, the optics of that would suck if the Sky were to just completely miss the playoffs. I think to me it, it would suck more because the pitch to Kalia Copper this offseason would just not be as strong if you were to right. completely miss the playoffs. And look, the Sky aren't going to win a championship this year. I'm sorry. I just I feel really strongly about that from what we've seen from this team, especially over the last month. They've gone through injuries that have really derailed them, obviously, but they've just gone through a lot of turmoil even over the last six months. And I don't like saying that, you know, I'm not trying to talk smack about all of your favorite team right now, but like, I'm just saying like this team has just gone through the ringer this year. That's and just accurate. Right. I mean, they just haven't been able to respond in the way that teams that are successful in the playoffs are able to respond and I think the, t the most disappointing part of it from the organization's perspective, man, I mean, there are only four teams right now, as we're recording on August 14th, there are only four teams that are above 500, okay? And that is with, with Dallas being 16-14 this year. The four through six range, and we were saying this at the top, was just very obtainable this year. Those four through six spots were obtainable. The sky, I felt even... After losing Rebecca Garner, I felt like they still could have put things together a little bit and still gone for, you know, the five, like the five, six, seven spots. And they just haven't found any type of continuity to be able to be a real threat in the league right now. And I think they're going to be scrappy, you know, like if they do make the playoffs at this point, it's probably going to be against the Aces, like you said. And that's just not going to go all that well for them. But it's just too bad because you look, you reflect on this year and you look at how all these other teams are struggling to really separate themselves and just put themselves in a different tier than, you know, like in a second tier almost. Like there's the people that are the teams that are, can contend for a championship and the Aces, Liberty, and 
the sun, I would say. And then there's this other tier of just mediocrity, honestly. Like, they're just not teams that are, I mean, not mediocrity. They're just very average, and they're just not going to be able to elevate themselves. And you look at what this Sky team could have done in a year where it was the second tier in the WNBA was so wide open. It's hard not to look at where the, the team is at right now and be disappointed if you're a Sky fan. I feel that. The injuries you can't foresee. You know, you never, you didn't, there's nothing that could have prepared the team for losing Rebecca Gardner because that threw so much of the um, second unit out of whack, as well as Isabel Harrison. Like you make a, a secondary splash acquisition and she plays one preseason game. Or, or was it two parts of two? No, none. She didn't play against the, the Lynx, right? I thought she played in the first one, like the very first game that they had, because I remember she was talking about things that they needed to clean up defensively you might be right. the second one. But yeah, so you don't get any time out of Isabel Harrison. And at this point, you know, she's been rehabbing. She posted on Twitter a couple of weeks back, you know, the the, uh, the eyes like, hey, the, or the rehab is rehabbing. And, you know, there's some hope if you can get to a 500 record, you're pushing for the seventh spot, maybe make a run at sixth, and then you bring her back in a case where you could really use her. Now it's like, hey, if you got to kick the year, maybe it's better for your overall health, especially in terms of contracts for her down the line. So it really stinks all the way around. That being said, I think this is the first time, and some people probably are going to be saying, hey, of course, this was true back in May. Why didn't you say it then? This is the first time where I really feel like I have a big problem with the plan going into the year of Mm -hmm. not at least preparing to get a high draft pick in the lottery because even though you can't necessarily foresee this happening, it was going to be a tough road with the two coastal teams loading up and Connecticut outperforming expectations and even Atlanta, Atlanta looked like they would be a quality team. That's a team considering where they are in the, in the um, pecking order in the W the sky haven't beat them yet this year. So you were probably going to be in that middle tier and these acquisitions were going to at best put you, I think even, even in the preseason, I said fourth is the best that the sky could have done. And while that's pretty good, it's not necessarily championship contention. I'm with you on that. And it's so tough because you look at that Marina Mabry trade. And even though, again, I had some wrong info about it, like I still think in the moment you got to try to make a bigger splash like that when you're trying to convince Kalia Copper to stay. And obviously this guy don't know about what happens with James Wade halfway through the season, not even halfway through the season. And they have to adjust. And obviously that is starting to look like it's going to become a little bit more complicated. Maybe the sky hope that because of the situation, the rest of the league is in that there's not a lot of places that can offer Kalia copper. Hey, you're going to be the number one player on this team and win and like be the face of the franchise. Like if you just look around the landscape of the league, there's just not a ton of destinations that exist out there. So maybe there's some optimism in that sense. And while Marina Mabry has had her flashes, I mean, she's had multiple 30-point games. I mean, just look around the rest of the league. I, If I had to guess, there's not like 10 players this season that have had multiple 30-point games. Like, that's what Marina Mabry's ceiling is. She's someone that can score at will. But the point of getting her in the deal and why you gave up the multiple picks was because of her playmaking. 
that which what you saw at the end of last season to be able to step into that role. And I'm not sure if it's because Marina Mabry, like Marina Mabry came to camp late because of her overseas commitments, which of course she has to handle, get your money. Um, and that that's the reason why maybe Courtney Williams has kind of transferred into this, like naturally grew into the facilitating role, but there's just a lot of things that went off the, the, the rails here in terms of like what the plan was going to be this season, I feel like. And I don't really know where, where the sky go from here, because if we're going to use like a, a community reference, Chris, because I know you and I both love that show. <laughs> I mean, this is some darkest timeline type of like, there's like a little bit of this being the darkest timeline um, in some respects of like, hey, if you do have a shot at a lottery pick or even like a top four pick and then Ka leaves and you're kind of left starting over, but not being able to naturally build through the draft over the next couple of years. I think it just, it the calculus for sky fans becomes a little bit more cal- complicated. And um, I guess I'll just say this, this is going to be a pivotal stretch for them in the future of the franchise, these next 10 games. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the optics of potentially losing a lottery pick versus losing like the number five, pick, like, Losing two number five picks to be able to get a 26-year-old in Marina Mabry, who, again, we've seen play at an all-star level before. I think if they can avoid that, the future, like building the future up, feels a little bit easier when the optics aren't just breathing down your neck. But I just don't really know what happens if the Sky are unable to put this thing together in the next 10 games. Like I think the worry level should be high and... I don't know, man. Like, what do you think this guy need to do over these next 10 games to put themselves in a better position? Like, what do they need to clean up? Because the, obviously they need to do something. The bench production, they've been, they've tried to get it to where it needs to be because you want to have your bench scoring ideally. Even, I mean, look at the last game. The All the Sky starters were in double figures. Um, even, the Sky Townies are happy because Courtney Williams did not lead the team in rebounding. <laughs> but you only got seven points from your bench. And I think you really got to survive, even if you have um, your starters playing big minutes, which the Sky don't necessarily do, you've got to get production from your bench, say, f- like f- between 15 and 20 points a night. Yeah. Dana Evans has had a tough season going out of it. And this is Dana's second full season. So as much, I think, hype and excitement and like desire there as there is from the fan base for her to do well, I don't necessarily think that that is the same level from the team. Uh, Dana is a professional, so she wants to be out there scoring and playing the way that she knows she can. But I think that there is some room that the team can give her, is giving her, to still grow so that i'm you know i'm taking from this season because we haven't seen except for spurts the dana evans that we know can score at will and really open up the offense i think what she is what she does do has a positive effect even if it doesn't show in the box score but she's not averaging say eight points a game where i think there was some level of expectation for that uh, so you have to figure out where to get the scoring and where to keep the offense, how to keep the offense flowing 
for 30 to 35 minutes a game rather than, you know, 25, maybe 28, the sky do. They keep having droughts of not scoring. On In Friday night's game, they were tied with the Liberty at 14-all, and there was four minutes left in the first quarter. And Stephen Garner, my co-host on the other show, has talked about the sky getting, you know, stuck on numbers and not being able to get to 20 points per quarter. So at that point, I made note of it. They were six points short, three buckets, and they had gotten to the free throw line once already. And I made a note. It's like, can they get six more points in these next four minutes? And they didn't. They only scored two more in the rest of the quarter, and they ended up going down by 13 to close the first frame. They haven't been able to establish that continuity where they can reliably get to, say, 18 or even like 20 or even 18 points per quarter to get to that 80-point mark on a consistent basis. They're scoring just over 80 points a game, but a lot of that is due to those 100-point outings they had before these last three losses. So you have to figure out a way to establish some offensive continuity, and I think a lot of that is based on getting consistent scoring, at least offense, from your bench. I 100% agree, Chris. And you look at how losing Rebecca Gardner changes this whole recipe for this guy this season. You miss someone who, and Isabel Harrison, instead of having Alana Smith coming in, playing 30 minutes a game, you would have her coming off of the bench, and Isabel Harrison would be a starting big. You'd have... Rebecca Gardner and her 10 to 12 points per game, someone that can run pick and roll for you. I mean, she would also help them from a playmaking standpoint, which when you look at how many turnovers this team gives up, my God, it's hard not to point to them not having a true ball handler that can come in from the second unit. And I mean, look, you're right. Dana has had her ups and downs this year. I think like her facilitating standpoint as well, she's had her ups and downs yeah. Just having someone like Elijah Clarendon this year, like a player like that who can just keep the offense just so, like steady and limit those turnovers, that's definitely something they're missing this year. And I know someone like even Eric Nemchak said heading into the year, it's like them missing that secondary ball handler that isn't a score first guard was clearly something that this team was going to need and they don't have it now. And you look at where they're at this season, they're not – taking care of the ball the way that they need to take care of the ball. And every time Emery Vatansever has had to, like, you know, pre like in post game and ask like, what could you guys have done better? It's always like turnovers and opponents turning turnovers into points. And it's hard on that end because I also think this team is not defended the post well or defended at the rim. Well, if you even just look at their opponents over the last five games in terms of at rim field goal percentage, it, this is what it looks like. 84.6%, 70.8%, 60%, and another game of 66.7%. You're not going to win games if your opponents are shooting in the 70s at the rim. Like If you're giving up all of those points at the rim and not really being able to contest in the same way that, like, look, Elizabeth Williams has been incredible this year. And I'm not taking anything away from her by any means, but statistically this team has struggled like second chance points. They're like in the middle of the pack when it comes to second chance points total this year and at rim field goal percentage, they've been really bad. And 
since August 1st, they're in a three-way tie with the Sparks and Mercury with 77 field goals made at the rim, which I'm sorry, like you got to be able to clean things up on that end because it's just too important not to give away the most efficient shot in basketball. And when when your opponents are taking so many, it's like we're seeing how that's really hurt them defensively. And they've just had to make do a lot of catch up on the offensive end where they haven't been able to do any catch up. So I'm going to look at, yeah. Is that field goals that they've allowed at the rim? 77? 77 since August 1st. Okay. Okay. Like and, yeah. And I, I know we talked about in the pregame, if you watch that Liberty game Friday night, New York missed so many bunnies. And that's why it was so frustrating watching that game slip away because the sky had chances. Like John Quill Jones was getting to the rim either on just dive cuts or post-ups. And New York in the third quarter was leading by 10 plus most of the way. The sky cut it down to three at a certain point. And that was a nice, really nice run. But they just kept missing bunnies at the rim in the third quarter and the fourth quarter when they started to stretch the lead again. And there was the thought, like, well, maybe if they get the offense flowing, they're shooting the three ball fairly well and they can have a chance. You just have to get some stops. Because, like I said, New York just kept missing at the rim. And these are players who don't normally miss, just had the ball roll off but they couldn't get it going. And I bet that was that 60% game that you mentioned. So that really probably was 80% without some indecisive rolls of the, of the orange of the round ball. (laughs) It's, it's hard to ask that team to do more than they can though, um, in terms of the sky, because if you look at numbers, just plain numbers, Alana and Elizabeth are nearly equivalent. Elizabeth's got 9.4 points per game, 5.7 boards, 2.3 assists, 1.2 steals, 1.6 blocks. Alana, 9.8 points per game, 6.7 rebounds, 1.7 assists, 1.4 steals, one and a half blocks. And they're turning the ball over both of them like once, just about one and a half times per game. The only thing Alana is really ahead on is fouls. And that number's come down a lot since May. Those are your two primary post players. Elizabeth doesn't shoot the three like Alana does. But otherwise, they're doing just about everything you can ask offensively, defensively. It's just that they don't really have anybody else who can reliably back them up. Morgan Birch is not that player. Sika Kone is not ready yet, and she was overseas for about a week and a half. Ruthie Hebert's come in for some time, and we see what Ruthie can do. She is pretty much like a... Fill in the spot if you need it, but cannot equal that production, um, at, the, at least in the time that we've seen. It's just a, an error of omission. They don't have anybody else who can fill that hole, who can reliably defend at the rim when those players are out or if they get beat on a switch or a matchup. Exactly. And they've had to learn different offensive concepts under Emray, and that's been I – mean, you're adding all these different things that have just – continue to stack up against the sky like all these little things build up into one big thing and i just kind of think that's where the sky are right now 30 games into the season there's no more moral victories at this point you can't just point to the front court woes in terms of depth it's like because there's no but after that it's like no like it's exactly what you just said 
the team's a little bit limited in size when it came to the front, when it comes to the front court. I just don't really know how you turn this thing around all of a sudden when you're about to face some quality teams and you kind of hope that you're going to catch like the dream in a, you know, on an off day or the links in an off day, you know, I mean, the, the dream have scuffled as of late. I mean, the, the links have been up and down. They just lost Lindsay Allen indefinitely. Um, you know, the sparks, I mean, you never know what you're going to get with them night to night. Like I get all of the reasons to be optimistic too. It's just really daunting to overcome everything that this guy have gone through this year, because it's just this baggage that every, all, everyone in this organization right now has to carry on their shoulders, man. I mean, don't you feel that at all? Like when you watch Emory after the game, he like someone that is again, like the nicest guy in the world. He can be, uh, be kind of easygoing from like my experience talking with him. And it's just like, they all look so tired having to answer these questions about, okay, how do you fix things? Like there's only so many times you can take the wrench and screw things on and make sure that everything's tight and, if it keeps falling apart, like how can you trust that it's going to be stable for the next 10 games, 25% of the season? It's just too bad because I really did think this team could have been a top five type top six team. So for sure. I, I feel that too. Uh, this is not indicative of memory. So anybody out here who's going to clip this next clip, remember that I said that or make sure to clip it fairly. I used to have a dream in uh, grade school, in like fifth or sixth grade, that I woke up and it was high school. And I was extremely unprepared. My mom like came in the room and was like, wake up, it's your first day of high school. And I was like, what? And I had no knowledge of how it worked or how to dress or what the classes were like. That was my main fear. It was like, what am I going to learn in classes? And we just like jumped in the car, went to some ex nebulous high school here and I walked in with all these kids who looked like giants in these doorways that looked like giant doorways and I felt supremely unprepared that is not what Emre's facing but pretty much you tossed him into a situation that he wasn't prepared for going into the season or even in the week or two before that so yeah he's gonna have baggage uh yeah, the players are going to have baggage. Like they're, they're one of their leaders dipped. And I think this is where we're really seeing it. Um, again, those people who were prescient and smarter and um, spoke, like said their piece when it happened, y'all were ahead of me. I think y'all had the right of it because this is where you really see the effects. You're not going to see the effects the week of or the week after. You're going to see it over the long term. Like, where does this leave the franchise? And so that's why they've made the moves off the court that they have to prepare for this. I think to paraphrase Khalil Gibran, the sky are taking their medicine right now. You know, some of the things that we talked about in terms of injuries is not that, but this is where the, the franchise has to take that medicine and kind of be sickly for some time and then really start recovery. And I think that recovery is is the off season. Um, just depends on when it comes. You're right, man. You're totally right. And I don't see this Sky team putting up, like, again, they're scrappy. I think there's something to be said about a new season 
that comes up when the playoffs start that you can kind of start to build some momentum on, even though, again, this team is not going to beat the Aces in a five-game series or three-game series. It's just, it's not going to happen. This is a, the Aces are too freaking good this year. Um, The Liberty really have turned a corner. I'm so glad I bought all of your New York Liberty stock from a couple weeks ago. Um, They look like they're, I really think we're really shaping up for this being Aces Liberty come you know October so there's you know the sky again I think they're trying to fend off some of the optics of what potentially everything looks like when a when a lottery pick could be sent Dallas's way in a really strong draft class unless I mean there's also a really strong chance there's people that push their eligibility because of how much money they can make like you know if they were to stay in college an extra year um but with all of that aside, man, let's talk. Let's. <laughs> uh, I know that the listeners probably don't want to hear us just being so negative about this guy, but yeah, yeah. you're right. We, we got to turn up. We got to uh, turn up. <laughs> well, I think that the award races that are happening across the league right now are fascinating, and the one that we're dealing with right now, with not dealing with the one that we get to witness with Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart doing this again, making it so painstakingly hard to decide between who should win MVP. And that's no shade to Alyssa Thomas, by the way. I just think based on the tone of everything, it does kind of seem like we are back to the same place we were last year, where it does feel like Wilson versus Stewart. But obviously Alyssa Thomas has a, also has a strong MVP case. So that's absolutely no shade to her whatsoever. Um, So we have like the, the MVP race, obviously I think, it makes for an interesting conversation. And there's the other award with rookie of the year, which is less interesting. That is 1000% going to be Aaliyah Boston. I'd be shocked if any betting website had any options to bet on anyone else for that award, given how much of a lock it is. Chris, let's start off with the most controversial one, which is MVP. It's definitely MVP because of how we're watching like three all time season, like seasons, transpiring right now in front of us with what Alyssa Thomas, Brianna Stewart, and Asia Wilson have done. If you had a vote and you were voting today, who would you pick for MVP? Oh, honestly, oh, every every single fiber of my being really wants to say Alyssa Thomas. But I said, and I want to stand on it, that I would only call her as MVP if Connecticut got to the second spot. And they're three games back of that right now with 10 to go. There's a chance. There's still a chance. But I want to stand on my word. And I can't necessarily do that if she's not getting that, um, if she's not getting to that particular level. So I my choices were Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson. Other than that? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, you could I mean, I would say those are the three that are clearly. In, like that are clearly contending for this in actuality, obviously no shade to Nafisa Collier or a, a Jewel Lloyd, who I think probably has fallen out of that discussion quite honestly, but like those type of players that aren't high up in the standings, but are having great individual seasons. Um, you can pick anyone you want, but I would say that legitimate contenders are Thomas Stewart and Wilson. Like Jewel should definitely get MVP votes. I, I stand on that. I, I believe that to be the case no matter what. I think that Asia Wilson is not 
undeserving at all. My only tough thing is that I think Asia and Chelsea Gray are like the two-headed monster of that team and are so intertwined that they would be like they would be like top six MVP candidates without each other. Asia maybe less so. Asia's like top four, top five every year at the worst. But I think they work so well together that like a lot of me wants to give Chelsea Gray the my call here too. And I can't say that without saying, well, if you take Asia Wilson off that team, where exactly are they? And they're top five, top four, but they're not number one with a, with a hollow point. So I think Brianna's I think Brianna Stewart does so much for that Liberty team that is weirdly under the radar. Um, man, I don't know, man, because that Liberty team is still not where I would want it. And I can't say like, like Steven and I were talking and Brianna Stewart had a really good game again, Friday night. She had a really good game in Chicago in that home and home series in uh, June but Alana Smith made her work, and I think the sky sniffed out enough of what she does defensively that sometimes she could catch her over-rotating or rotating early. And again, this is the sky who we just dumped on for like 10 minutes. So I I want to go between Asia and Chelsea. I, I, I would love for Chelsea Gray to get MVP. I just hate to do it at Asia's expense. So... I'm just putting this out there because I do think I feel pretty strongly about this now. And uh, I wouldn't be upset if it went one way or the other. I just feel like in my gut, having just thought about this for a while, I think it is Asia Wilson. And I'm just going to, I'm throwing this stat out there because I thought it was interesting. So since it was announced that Candace would be out indefinitely, which is July 25th, the Aces mm-hmm. have a minus 2.0 net rating in 152 possessions when Asia is off the floor. And with her on it in 420 possessions, they have a positive 20.2 net rating. So that is minus two net rating in 152 possessions when she's off the floor. And then that skyrockets to 20.2, like a positive 20.2 net rating when she is on it. Her gravity in the post opens up everything for that offense. And it's not like she isn't doing what she was doing last year. Like she's putting up the same numbers. She's taking like the same amount of shots, but averaging more points. She has been arguably the best defender in the WNBA this season, even though you'll got, you guys will find out who I voted for defensive player of the year in the next one. But I look at what Asia Wilson's been able to do on an all time great team who is 27 and three. I don't really know what the Liberty have to do to, to get your praise. They're 24 and six. Like they, we better, say, they better win 34 games. Well, man, I'm yeah, that's right. That's right. 10 and no the rest of the way. I think this Liberty team is so legit and they're going to be fucking awesome in the playoffs, but you know, Brianna Stewart, just to be fair, she is comparable on and off splits when it comes to the Liberty this year. They're neck and neck. Same thing. With, I mean, Alyssa Thomas, they just can't take her off the floor without them like crumbling to the ground. But what Asia Wilson's been, been able to do, you lose Candace Parker. She's just continued to elevate her game. The Liberty have a now healthy John Quell Jones, who I think we forget that she was coming off a foot injury, you know, going into the off season. 
And she just has been producing at a level that we've come to expect from a player of her caliber. And she's found out her role in the offense. Same thing with Benijah Laney and even Kayla Thornton. Like these pieces have all come together in in the puzzle. You can lay it flat and understand what it looks like now. And and that's also considering that Sabrina Inescu has just been incredibly hot as well. So I just think when you look at all those things that the Liberty are continuing to rise, and while the Aces, like statistically, they've kind of fallen a little bit, like a little bit down, but the reason they've been able to maintain their success is because of Asia Wilson. And it's really hard to leave a two-way stud like like Alyssa Thomas in any other year would probably be my number one or number two pick in this situation. I mean, I don't love saying like, oh, well, she's averaging a triple-double. I'm like, okay, I think that looks more aesthetically nice looking at like those big numbers, especially how much we've really driven up the value of what triple-doubles are. It's still incredible when you see someone put up 20, 20, and 10. She's an MVP candidate candidate this year. It's just hard when you have two generational talents going back and forth and have led their teams to better records, even though they're they're probably both in better circumstances than what Alyssa Thomas is in. I think I'd still, as surprising as Connecticut was to me, I would still have her third because of what she's, well, second, I want to say second, just because I think that performance is more valuable. There's times where Brianna Stewart can come off the floor and New York can either just batten down the hatches to some degree or their offense keeps clicking because of who they can, who they can work with, with Kayla Thornton coming off the, coming in that kind of utility swing, the swing, that swing player role. They can keep the offense moving. Asia is a rock, but New uh, Las Vegas, even without Candace, is still work. They've developed Kaya Stokes into being a defensive anchor as well. And that is still, you're right. Like Asia is probably the best player in the league, except for these names that we've mentioned. And I think she's still the best player in the league, but I would have Alyssa Thomas second. I'm I'm interested to see who you have for defensive player of the year, because just by looking at the numbers, I don't believe in not rewarding players who deserve it. So if you're the rookie of the year and you're the most valuable player, then you get both awards and we don't give a defensive player of the year award to somebody as a consolation prize. So that just by based on the numbers, I would go with Asia Wilson as Asia Wilson as well there. So I'm interested to see who you have as your DPOI. So I would have zero problem with Asia Wilson being named defensive player of the year and MVP again. After like in back-to-back years, I would have zero problem with it. Asia has been one of the best defensive players in the WNBA. Again, what I can't emphasize this enough. Like I said on the last pod, we were watching someone put together a case for being the greatest WNBA player of all time. And I know it sounds early to say that she's only 25, 26 years old. What Asia Wilson is going to have the opportunity to do over the next 10 years, if she stays healthy, she's on a trajectory right now that is up there when we see when we talk about the goats their and their early success and how important it is to get to the level they want to get to Asia Wilson's on that track right now I still think I would give it to Alyssa Thomas we're talking about like a Connecticut team they're like second in the league in defensive efficiency according to positive residuals database I know 
some of these things are calculated differently. But I think the fact that she's had to move from, you know, she had to move into the center role, essentially. Like, you, you can't discount that. When you lose a player like Bree Jones, you should expect there to be some drop-off in terms of what you're able to do on the defensive end. And what Alyssa Thomas has been able to do guarding both the perimeter and, I mean... I know the block numbers aren't going to jump out to you and that's probably going to hurt her case a lot. But I think if you're just willing to like watch Connecticut consistently, you can see that when she's out on the floor, you know where like you can feel her presence. You know, she's someone that (laughs) I think has probably been the best defensive player in the league this year, despite again, what those raw stats might say, but she is just so important for not even just like what she's able to do as a defensive anchor on that end of the floor, but what, how their offense even opens up, even in transition because of what the defensive efforts she has um, and what she's been able to do in transition. So I do think it's Alyssa Thomas, but at the same time, I would not be upset if Asia Wilson ended up taking home defensive player of the year because she's having I think she's having her best year in terms of block rate this year. I think per 36 minutes, she's having like 2.6 blocks per game. She's an alien. So I'm pretty (laughs) torn between those two, but I think I would lean Alyssa Thomas. How about you? Where do you land on this one? Well, first of all, thank you for not using the word unicorn. It's well too overused. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, I think with Alyssa Thomas, even if you don't see the blocks come up because she's not necessarily like Elizabeth Williams came in that post game earlier this year and was like, oh, I have a height miss. I have the height advantage on Alyssa Thomas. So I wanted to get some shots on her. You know, that's a, it's still a wild thing for me to think about her saying that, but she was right. I think where you look is her ability to pass and how many steals per game she's getting. She's just a shade under two per game. Um, per 100 possessions, let me see. Per 100 possessions, she's getting 2.6 steals per game. Or sorry, 2.6 steals per 100. So with her ability to pass and the fact that blocks don't necessarily have a lesser chance of turning a possession over than steals do, I think that actually makes a better case, um, just playing devil's advocate on your behalf, for her to be defensive player of the year than not. Because... You could block the ball and either it goes off the backboard, it goes out of bounds, it goes to a an offensive player who gets a better shot. Any number of things can happen in that scenario, whether you're a, a, pro, a post player or a perimeter player. If you get a steal, that's a change of possession. Sometimes those can go back the other way, but to get the steal, you have to have controlled the possession of the ball so you're more likely than not moving the ball up to the other end of the floor. And with Alyssa Thomas's ability to pass and so much of her ability to pass hinging on Connecticut's transition game or hinging Connecticut's transition game, I think that actually makes her a better like or more likely candidate for uh, defensive player of the year. I would still go with Asia Wilson just because her defense is so wildly good and she's so mobile that it deters a lot of teams from establishing a game in the post. I think the one time you saw it, or maybe, what is it, maybe twice this year, is with Dallas, and they only won that game by one. Like, that was – they've had two flukes, I would say, all year long. 
the game that they lost to Dallas and credit to Dallas for playing a really good game and that absolute egg they laid in New York. And that's really it. Like Alyssa, um, Asia Wilson basically forces you to shoot from 12 feet or beyond mm-hmm. unless you absolutely know how to reverse the ball quickly and shorthandedly. And Kai Stokes is getting to that level too. So I I would have Asia Wilson just based on numbers and based on the eye test as defensive player of the year too. I totally get that. And that's a good point about steals. I think I mostly said the the blocks number being kind of something that's kind of detracts from her case because I think voters do care about raw stats more than anything else. And when you see you combined or just look at Asia Wilson's stocks per game versus Alyssa Thomas's. I mean, it's probably like a difference of one, you know. Um, but I think you're totally right, man. And if you look at Asia Wilson, she's also had 29 at-rim blocks this year, which is tied with Aaliyah Boston for second in the league. Um, by the way, Elizabeth Williams leads the league with 34 at-rim blocks, according to PVP stats. Got to talk so, about it. Um, yeah, you know, in Atlanta Smith, number six. So, um I totally get where you're coming from. And honestly, I don't really have the best idea about where the voters are going. Like I haven't been talking with a bunch of people who I know are voting for the award. I wouldn't be shocked if Asia Wilson comes out of this award season with both the MVP trophy and the defensive player of the year award. So I would not be shocked by that whatsoever. And she would have, she would absolutely deserve it. We can bring this one back to sky town, man. Most improved player of the year. This one, I think, is the second most interesting conversation because of how divided I've seen the opinions with it. Um, I've seen a lot of people say Satu Sabali has to be most improved player. She's played at an MVP level at times this year. She's been able to shoot the lights out from beyond the arc. And then you look at someone like Jordan Canada, who's also transformed as an offensive weapon, someone that's been able to shoot the three ball pretty well this year after not having that part of her game. And then Alana Smith, who I'll save my Alana Smith take um, because I actually, I think there's a case for it. I think there's a case for it. I would say those are the top three in terms of who people are leaning towards right now. Where do you land with most improved player? Like when you sat down to think about this, where were you at in terms of most improved player? Because I think it's, a really interesting can of worms to open. I'll start with what I think is going to happen. And I think that Satu is going to get it because people are kind of lazy inherently. <laughs> and, and by that, I mean, like you take, uh, you, you register data and you try to compartmentalize and, and stereotype it. Like we saw this happen. So it's always going to happen. Or we remember this. So this is how it is. And so by that token, people will think the fact that Satu has not played as much as other players over the last couple of years to mean that she was doing badly those years, when in reality, she was not doing anything because she was injured. And they're going to look at the way her game was always going to be, which is what we're seeing this year, and think, well, she must have improved a lot on her past performances, when in reality... She's had much better luck with injuries, by which to say she has had none. So that was a very pretentious way of saying that I think <laughs> Satu Sabali is going to get it, but it is not necessarily the right vote. For players who have 
markedly improved over past performance. Um, Alana Smith is a great candidate. I think she's not going to get it because she's not necessarily the best choice in that particular role. But I want to be clear about this. Alana Smith in the echelon of players that Chicago has found it very easy to root for is near the top. I think she's up there with Christopher Morrell. I think she's up there um, just below Dana Evans after that performance in the finals and that uh, first game last season. Uh, but she's up there. Like people are like, hell yeah. Um, hell yeah, Alana Smith. Um, and it's and it's shown this year. It's the way that she has played through injury, played through pain, man the post well, defended fairly well, uh, added dynamics to this offense when they were desperately searching for those dynamics. And I think taken on, shouldered, not only shouldered a lot of responsibility on the team, shouldered a lot of that collective of collective uh, despair of not being able to do what they want to do or performing under that level. I've You see Alana Smith take that on. And she's very much riding the highs and the lows. And I think she'd probably finish second. I'd be very happy if she won. But I, I, oof. if the Sparks make the playoffs, I think it goes to Jordan Canada because she has made herself into a two-level scorer and remained a intolerable defender. Yeah. And the Sparks were riddled with injuries, probably even probably more so than the Sky at times. And so if they sneak into this eighth spot, then she'd be most improved player. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be fair, but I wouldn't have a I wouldn't have an enormous problem with it. I think you outlined Jordan Canada's case pretty well there. So I'm gonna make the Atlanta Smith case real quick. If we're talking about who has most improved since the end of last year to where we're at right now. I don't think people realize how much shit this guy got for signing Alana Smith to a hundred K contract. And we're talking about a player that couldn't stay on the roster with on the worst team in the league in the Indiana fever. And obviously she improved overseas in Poland she was putting up numbers she had multiple teams interested in her services but I think what she's been able to do this year she's averaging just under 10 points per game again sixth in at rim blocks um, it doesn't necessarily mean she's the perfect defender by any means but she's putting up stats she's also scoring in the post in a way that she wasn't when she first got to the WNBA. Um, you know, Phoenix didn't trust her necessarily. She wasn't getting the minutes she needed to develop. And obviously the three-point shootings went up and down. But when you just look at her efficiency in the post, when you look at how, again, a year ago, there was a question about whether we would see Alana Smith in the WNBA again, given how she had a couple of ups and downs when she was in this league. And now... She's probably going to come out, and I think she could get a multi-year deal because of the leap that she took. I think there are a lot of teams that would want to stretch five or just to stretch forward, quite honestly. And like on their team, I think she's earned that. Most improved versus Jordan Canada, who since she got in the league, in my opinion, has been one of the best perimeter defenders in the WNBA. 
Um, we've seen her score a little bit. Um, obviously, she was in the shadow of Sue Bird, you know, and when she was coming up with Seattle. And even last year, like she really had a lot of like really solid flashes of like what she could be on the offensive end. But she's obviously brought in that like all WNBA level defense to this season again. Like she's like what she's been able to do on the perimeter has been great. I'm sure her steal rate's a career high, if I had to guess. I just think we've seen Jordan Canada be successful in this league long enough where if I had to choose between her or Alana Smith or Satu Sabali, who has been like has been good in this league. We know what the player that she was going to be eventually if she were to stay on, on the court. I just I'm getting maybe I'm getting too hung up on most improved here, but I think that's what Alana Smith's case would be. So I'm with you. I think it's going to come down between her and Jordan Canada if People don't end up voting for Satu and realize like, okay, wait a second. We're talking about someone who was highly regarded coming out of college. Like we kind of expected this. I think it does come down between Jordan Canada and Alana Smith. And I think I've kind of talked myself into Alana Smith with this one, even though <laughs> I've been really impressed with Jordan Canada. And I've said on this podcast, she's been one of my favorite players to watch um, since I consistently started covering this guy. So um. Any pushback there, or do you want to move on to the next one? I think the one thing is that we saw somebody who was fairly highly regarded coming out of the draft in college win most improved player after showing that they could be a better player, and that was Jackie Young. Yeah. We just haven't seen the exact same type of thing with Satu. Just injuries kept her off the court. So, again, that's why I wouldn't vote for her, and I will hear all arguments against it. That does not mean that I don't think she's had a great season. She's had a fantastic season. She's the <laughs> primary driving force for the Wings being where they are in the playoff in the playoff race. But I think those other two have actually improved as players. This is the this is an award that, unlike most valuable player, is fairly clear. We have seen somebody at this level; they are now at this level. So, which of the players have made a greater ascent? And with most improved player, I feel confident in saying that's Jordan Canada. He has been fan-fucking-tastic this year for them. She's been so fun to see, and the reason why Dallas has been able to make the two big rotations work is because she's been able to improve as a shooter from beyond the arc. What she's done has been special. I, I think we're both on the same page, though, that when we're talking about most improved, it just becomes a little bit more difficult. Coach of the year. Um... I think this one's a little bit trickier based on how the individual award, like how I mean, individual voters view, like how they go about their criteria with this coach of the year. Who would you have right now? Tanisha Wright. Tanisha Wright? No hesitation. But she's they're the, the dreamer on under 500 team this year. I don't necessarily think that's their fault. I really don't. And just based on the, their, their one you know, they're one game under 500. Latricia Trammell's been good. Latricia Trammell's been really, really good. Um, I think this some of this is just based on the fact that she had a ridiculously good argument last year uh-huh. and didn't win because they didn't make the playoffs. Now she's under 500 and they make the playoffs as the five seed. Are you going to be like, well, she didn't do a really good coaching job. Like, People were down, 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 down on Haley Jones most of her senior season. 
and she's become a, a good rotation player for them, a bona fide playoff team in her rookie year. Ryan Howard's even better. Uh, that that Atlanta team is not, you know, they've had to deal with probably the greatest parody that we've seen in W in a long time. So I'd still, I would be okay giving it to Tanisha Wright because she should have gotten it last year and didn't. That's not to discount Latricia Trammell um, making some bold choice, um, going with some bold choices in the off season and it really paying dividends. But like we just talked about, a lot of Dallas' success is based on the fact that Satu Sabali is healthy. That's not a coaching decision. <laughs> that's a that's a life luck happening. <laughs> so I think that's what made that's where my my decision lies. I'm surprised that Stephanie White is not on this like the first name mentioned between those two because Stephanie White going what 21 and nine after losing Bree Jones early on. We're seeing DeJanae Carrington take the next step. Ty Harris has been really solid this year. And they're they're not being any drop-off, really, between last year's team that went to the finals and in her first year with the team, be able to put together a, again, like elevate themselves into that contender status, um, which I honestly, I I was very skeptical what happened when you, I feel like when you lose a player like John Quill Jones, you should experience some type of some level of regression and they haven't i feel like the sun have been clicking on all cylinders and have elevated themselves into that upper echelon of the league and uh i think a lot of that has to do with what stephanie white's been able to do with this team um, obviously having solid leadership carrying over too with Alyssa thomas and dewana bonner i think that obviously helps but I, I honestly i don't think i have tanisha Wright or latricia trammell in my top two i think becky hammond man when you have i think wow. that i i would when you go 27 and 3 and we'll see where they finish at the end of the year but being able to make all the pieces work together even though the biggest fish they they were able to reel in and insert into the starting lineup that was so much different from last year obviously it's candace parker and then you have the rest of the team down to kia stokes coming off the bench um and you know alicia clark as well um, you know, those are again, Alicia Clark and Candace Parker being just two like incredibly talented connectors. Obviously that makes it a little bit easier to figure out the hierarchy within the offense and making things work. But when you go 27 and three, there is a level of dominance that you have where I start to tip my cap towards that coach of being like, you know what, you probably deserve to have to be there in the coach of the year conversation, but it's also for me, I think it's Stephanie White. I think I've talked myself into Stephanie White. Maybe I'll feel differently if the Aces go 10 no and they finish the year 37 and three. It'd just be really hard to leave, just be like, hey, Becky Hammond, you're not the coach of the year after having the most dominant stretch in WNBA history as a coach. But I just can't quite get there with the other, like uh, those other coaches right now and what Stephanie White has been able to help the son be able to overcome to me is put her over the edge. You know, that's a really good point. Um, when they hired Stephanie white, I remembered her from the year I started covering the team in 2015 and how well she did with that team. Like they were six games over 500 in a 34 game season, but they made the, they made the finals and they dispatched 
what would have been the MVP that year if, if um actually I think Elena did that was the year Elena won MVP um because she played a full season and they dispatched them with professional ease meaning the sky at that point in time and I think it's just something in my head thought well well I expected Stephanie White to be this good a coach but that also doesn't jive when I was shit talking Connecticut for two months so you're right I apologize there there's no there's no real good way to award people retroactive honors that they should have gotten. There's no makeup calls here, and I think I just forgot that. So, yeah, the, the fact that Connecticut is this good when I did not expect them to be anywhere close to this good, and considering that they lost Bree Jones midway through the season, like you said, yeah, yeah Stephanie White makes the most sense. She really does. I think that yeah, we progress into this year, like it's just becoming more and more apparent how connected this entire Connecticut team is because I'm with you. I didn't see 21 and nine, man. I did not see 21 and nine at this point in the year. Um, let's move forward to like six women of the year though, because that's another one where I feel like we're going to be splitting hairs over an aces player and a Connecticut player potentially. I mean, <laughs> I feel like I've seen Alicia Clark's name the most. And when I see people like on Twitter, or on social media, just kind of figure out, trying to put together their thoughts. I think DJ Carrington has a pretty solid case as well because of, yeah, I just really liked what I've seen from her. I mean, she's probably someone who's like a more, her case is a little bit more modest in terms of most improved player, but I wouldn't hate people bringing that up into the conversation after some of the names that we had named already. For six women of the year, who who do you have? Is there anyone that you feel good about right now on August 14th at 4.16 p.m.? I'm lacking a bit here, but when a lot of the attention was paid to the move to bring Rebecca Allen to Connecticut from New York, hmm. and that game where I saw up close Rebecca Allen sit the majority of the rest of the first half and the rest of the game, in favor and Natisha Heidman as well, in favor of Dijanae Carrington. I have little to no argument against that. Um, her offensive rating is 105, which is pretty ridiculous for somebody who's who's playing, what is this? 16 and a half minutes per game. Like it's a healthy portion of the game, but it's not half of the it's not half of the entire contest. And she her height makes Connecticut's giant lineup really imposing. Yeah. Like her height and her length and her ability to cut, her ability to work through screens and still be a fairly good on-ball or off-ball defender. I'd, I wouldn't have a problem going with Dijanae Carrington. I mean, it's – James, man, uh, you're making me go back on my word. I said I was going to trash talk Connecticut till the very end. And now <laughs> I have to finally give in. Like, this hurts. This really hurts. Man, I mean, I just didn't expect them to stay as healthy as they've been able to stay this entire year, given some of the players they've had on the roster. And it was a lot, I think, to expect, hey – Dijanae, Ty Harris, you all have to elevate yourselves. Hey, Dewana Bonner, at this point in your career, you have to elevate yourself now that Jonquel Jones isn't going to be there. And I know that she had kind of an up and down season last year because of how she was using the offense. And 
how disjointed things were once Jasmine Thomas was out after tearing her ACL early in the year. But I've just been super impressed with this Connecticut team. I really thought like they had the talent to be good, but I wasn't expecting them. I expect everything to go right for them this year outside of the Bree Jones injury. So um, I'm with you. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that they've elevated themselves into that same, maybe just like a tick below the tier of the Liberty and aces at this point in terms of uh, contention. I just, I just think we're headed towards aces Liberty, but I said Alicia Clark, man. I think that what Alicia Clark's been able to do for the Aces, like like I said before, she is a exceptional connector. She is an overqualified connector in basketball, and she's coming off the bench for this team and gives them offense, gives them options in terms of all the different lineups they can use with her. And she's shooting over forty percent from deep on like three attempts per game, and you know what she's been able to do as a communicator on the defensive end for that team after losing a player like Candace Parker, who is just so important when it comes to defensive communication. I think I give her the slight edge here because while the starters have been like astronomically impressed, like what they've been able to do that their statistics this year, stuff of legends. All right. <laughs> you can't just have a good starting group and be as successful as the aces have been this year a lot of that has to do with what alicia clark has been able to bring this team so i think I, i'm going to give her the nod for six woman of the year um it felt like a little bit of a lighter year for a six woman of the year i feel like we've had some more like kelsey plum versus ali quickly like two years ago like that was a really fun one um, <laughs> but i do think like alicia clark kind of steps up and wins this one um I mean, we already said rookie of the year. I mean, it's Aaliyah Boston. And of course it's Aaliyah Boston. Do you have a contrarian take? I want to see you cancel yourself on this podcast. Do you have a contrarian take where, uh, no, I can't even, (laughs) I can't can't even reasonably do that. I can't, I can't even jokingly do that. You know, it's gotta be Aaliyah Boston, right? Like Indiana might win 25% of their games because of Aaliyah Boston without it, they would probably be, around the same record as they had last year. And she's from the Caribbean. So it's pretty automatic uh-huh. who I would be voting for in that, in that regard, you know, not really a question about it. No question about it. It has been special to watch Aaliyah Boston. I'm not going to lie. There've been times where I'm like, do I want to watch the fever? Like, do I really want to watch? The wow. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I just need to watch Aaliyah Boston cook right now, man. She's been fucking awesome. And she's demanded the attention that we all expected her to get at some point in her career already this year from game one, going to the preseason. We're talking about someone that is demanded the attention of the defense at its highest level. And it's been incredible to see her navigate all of it. But, um, you know, Chris, so glad that we had a chance to do this. So glad that all of you had a chance to tune into this episode. If you want to reach out to us, you can always do so by emailing our mailbag, which is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. One more time, that is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And if you want to find us on social media, you can go to the episode description that contains our link tree and all that other information that you might need to get in contact with us or just see what we're doing outside of audio. And again, thank you so much for listening to the episode. Until next time.